It's Drew Dixon back with you for another Bible Thump, and I want to ask you a question. We're going to dig into Romans 5 in just a second, but the question I want to ask you today is very simple, uh, but important. I think we're thinking about, what are you known for? What do people know you for? Maybe you're known as the funny guy, uh, <laughs> or funny lady, or funny person. Um, maybe you're known as the helpful person. Uh, maybe you're known for what you do. Maybe you have a visible job, and so people know you as a doctor, or people know you as um, a law enforcement officer, or um, a mom. That's where a lot, a lot of people are known as, as moms, because they take great pride and delight in, in, being, in being mothers. Uh, what character trait, though, defines you? Um, what, is it, what is it that people see in you? Um, Maybe your children. Think about that. If you have kids, how, what character trait stands out most to you, most about you to them? Is it that you're just? You do what is just and right. Maybe it's that you're fair. Maybe it's that you're um, strict. Could be that you're domineering. Um, it's a complicated question, isn't it? One of the things that we'll find in Romans 8 is this singular character quality, I believe, that defines, um, that God embodies. The God of the Bible embodies one singular, I think, character trait more than any other character traits. And I might get in trouble for saying this because people, you know, theologians always debate about this, but, um, and some people want to say that God holds all character traits in, in equal measure. But I think there is a greatest of all character traits and God 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 embodies it Perfectly. I want to say that again. I think there is a greatest of all character traits, and God embodies this character trait character trait perfectly. Let me try it one more time. I want to get that out cleanly. I believe there is a greatest of all character traits, and God embodies that character. character. Gosh, I cannot say this. God embodies that character trait perfectly. Can you guess what it is? I'll give you a minute. Think about it. I'm not going to give you a minute. I'm just giving you a few seconds. Um, I hope you get a sense, you have a sense that it's, that it's love. Now, that may not have been what came to your mind first. It could be, because when it comes to God, we have all these preconceived notions about who he is and how he operates. And for some of us, it is like domineering, like exacting um, justice. I want to be really clear. God is just. Everything he does is just and right. Um, but sometimes we elevate this idea of like God punishing us for the jacked up things that we've done, for all the brokenness in us, for the ways we've, we've sinned, for the ways we disobeyed him, than anything else. Um, or maybe we think of God as um, aloof, right? As sort of disconnected. It's really easy to feel that way when you feel the world sort of like crumbling around you. When you sense, when you have a sense that the world around you isn't fair, that things aren't going according to plan, that, that there's a lot of suffering and difficulty in your life, then you're more likely to see God as disconnected, as not quite dialed in to your life, to your existence. All right, so um, there's a lot of things we might think are the primary character trait of God, um, and, and, and I get why we might feel that way. So that's why I think we need to listen closely to the Bible, to the Word of God, and let God 
make a case for himself. Um, let scripture, at least, let, let scripture make a case for the ultimate, the penultimate character trait of God. All right, let's let's listen. Listen to the word of the God, uh, the word of the Lord. This is uh, Romans five, starting in verse six. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person. Perhaps someone might even dare to die, but God proves his love, his own love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, shall we be saved through him from wrath? For we were enemies. We were reconciled to God. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received received reconciliation. Okay, so I say that the penultimate character trait of God is love because that's what's embodied most boldly to this moment that Paul's been building up to for a long time. He's written a lot of words to get to this moment where he says, um, God proves, demonstrates, shows forth... Um, his own love, his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Paul expounds on why this is so profound, right? Well, we were helpless. Um, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. In other words, people who weren't drawing near to God, people who weren't embodying his way of, of life, who weren't embodying his character, his values, his goodness, his beauty, his truth, his love people who um, had disassociated themselves from him and were not um, not playing according to his rules, not doing life according to his way. Ungodly, people who are sinners. In other words, people who are actively disobeying God. In fact, Paul goes on to call them enemies. Um, he says in uh, verse 10, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How much more than having been reconciled Reconciled will we be saved by his life. I want to pause there for a second because I think we can read that and think, does that mean that uh, that like God is opposed to us? That God sees us as like terrorists um, or something like that? You know, who, whoever we might think of as our enemies. Um, does God think of us as um, an enemy nation state, right, that, that needs to be eliminated? Are we, you know... Um, this horrible foreign army that needs to be needs to be thwarted. Um, I don't think that's what's going on here. I think it's more enemies in the sense of like um, people who are not on board with his agenda. That's what Paul's saying about us. It's not that God's opposed to us or sees us as terrorists or sees us as like having no value. That's not what he's saying. God does not see us as those who have no value. God very much understands and knows and deeply sees our value and and infused us from the moment of our existence with his very image, that we exist to reflect his glory, that we, by nature being human, have inherent value, that um, that, that idea of, of bearing the image of God as a kingly image, it indicates that we are, are royalty in God's eyes. Like God sees us as these divine um, creatures, like he's imbued us with his dis divine spirit, he's breathed the breath of life. We are, we are according to the Old Testament, to, to Genesis, we are dirt and divine breath. We're physical beings, but we're also divine breath. We're, we're God's workmanship, created 
by him to reflect his beauty, his goodness, his love, his justice, his glory to the world. That's why you and I exist. So we have inherent value. So we're not enemies in the sense that God um, hates us or is opposed to us or sees us as disgusting or sees us as, as um, not worthy of his love. That's not the point. We're enemies in the sense that we're not on his agenda. We've chosen to go our own way. We've chosen to do our own thing. That's, that's the tenor of this passage. It's not that God is opposed to us and sees us as enemies, but it's that we're opposed to God. And we've chosen to go our own way. We've chosen to be the master of our own fate. We've chosen our own destiny. We've chosen, we've seen his agenda and said, no. We've seen his agenda and said, nah, I'm good. I'm going to go my way. I'm going to do my own thing. Um, I'll be the master of my fate. And so God sees people who've deliberately chosen not to partner with him in his project of renewing the world, of bringing order to chaos, of cultivating a good and just society. He sees how we've chosen to disobey him, how we've decided instead of getting on his agenda and being a part of his kingdom project, we've decided to build kingdoms of our own that often cause great harm to our neighbor rather than point them to Jesus and to the glory of God. Like instead, we've built monuments to ourselves. Instead, we've built systems. Uh, Think of all the systemic injustice in our world. Um, The people that are harmed by the way we've done life as humans for centuries and we think this has gone away, but it just simply hasn't. I mean, the human, tra- human trafficking, for example, is still a huge problem. Um, just the way we dismiss each other, for, for a smaller example, or a more immediate maybe example, is just the way we utterly dismiss each other on social media. The way that we uh, hear one person a thing says, uh, one thing a person says, and, and cancel them, and label them, and say, we want nothing to do with you. Um, the way we we talk to each other, the way we divide over all kinds of things, politics, um, you name it. Like, there's so many evidences. The way that we um, make the lives of the marginalized people around us worse, Um, not always deliberately, but by our own sins of omission, just not seeing, deliberately not seeing the needs of the people around us and offering help and care. So, that's, that's, that's who we are, apart from Jesus. But God sees that. He sees that we've chosen to go our own way. He sees that we've chosen to rebel. He sees that we've chosen not to join in his kingdom agenda. He sees that. And seeing that, chose to love us. Seeing everything that's broken about us. Seeing us in our weakest moments. Seeing us in the deepest um, portions of our rebellion and our choosing not to get on board with his kingdom agenda, our choosing to harm our neighbor, our choosing to overlook, um, our choosing not to, um, not to be ingredients of justice and mercy in the world. God sees that and still pursues, still loves, while we were sinners. Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. And Paul sees this as radical. Why? Because you don't, people don't do this. Every now and then, Paul says, somebody dies for a really good person. Um, you know, like someone who's going to do really good in the world, like you might, might throw your life down on the line to protect that person or go to war to protect your nation, right? But 
Nobody puts their life on the line. It's, it's foolish. It's foolish to put your life on the line for someone who's your enemy, who's actively working against your agenda, who doesn't want your good, and doesn't, isn't in your corner. And that's exactly what God has chosen to do in Jesus Christ. And that choice changed the world. And that choice, if you see it, and value it, and see the beauty in it, and run to it, and say, I want want that choice to be mine. Like, I want God's choice to pursue sinners, to love sinners, to give himself up, to, to put his life on the line to save his very enemies. I want to believe that, that that's for me. And I want to believe that that's the way to do life will radically change the way you see yourself, the way you see the world, the way you see your neighbors. It changes everything. You see, the primary driving character trait of God is love. He chooses to love, and he loves more profoundly than you or I. He loves more profoundly than than anyone else in human history because he runs with love to his enemies and gives them hope and direction and new life. He awakens in us the life we never thought was possible. And love for the people around us we never thought we could embody. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. What Jesus has done, the love he embodies, the God um, who loves through Jesus Christ changes everything, changes the world, and it can change you. So here's your challenge for today. What will you do to embrace, to rejoice in this love? And then once you've embraced and rejoiced in this love, give yourself some time to think about that. Like, what would it look like for you to embrace this kind of love today? What would it look like for you then to rejoice in this kind of love today? And then finally, I want to challenge you with a really important question to, to, to consider. What would it look like for you to embody this kind of love in your friendships, in your relationship with your children, your spouse, um, your family? your neighbors. If you will take some small steps, even just like one small step today to embody that love in your relationships, what might God do? What might he do? That's an exciting thought, isn't it? Join me in dreaming about what God might do if we see and embrace his love Rejoice in his love and embody it out in the world God placed us in. Thanks for your time. See you next week.